Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. The woman is funny. One of the quickest wits I've ever seen. Also one of the biggest hearts. And some of the coolest sneakers in show business. Ellen DeGeneres is a trailblazer. She's broken down a lot of doors. For years, her easygoing style was masking a secret. But that all changed during the historic episode of her sitcom called Ellen back in 1997, where she came out. 42 million people watched that show. I played Ellen's therapist on that episode and got to see her courage up front firsthand. That was almost 20 years ago, a very, very different time. A major star of a primetime hit show openly said she was gay. We'd never seen anything like that before. A media circus erupted, and within weeks, her series had been canceled and Ellen was left devastated. But our culture and the way we accept one another for who we are were never the same. Ellen didn't set out to change the world by stating her own truth, but ever since she was a kid growing up in Louisiana, she always looked at things just a little differently from the rest of us. Everybody has a story, and there is something to be learned from every experience. Use your life as a class. This is Masterclass with Ellen DeGeneres. I believe in an intelligence. I believe that there's something that created all of us and all of this, and that there's no way that we just accidentally appeared. You can call it God. It's just, it's a label that we all decided to put on this intelligence. You think about a, a man in a, a white beard and a robe and... I don't know why people think God doesn't have regular clothes, why God always has to have a robe on. It just seems like, couldn't God be wearing a suit or something? I don't know. When I was a kid, I wanted to be Diane Fossey. I read National Geographic. That's the only magazine we had in the house. I just was fascinated by Africa. I was fascinated by the gorillas, and I thought, that's what I want to do. I'm going to live in Africa, and I'm going to save the gorillas, and I'm going to devote my life to that. And somewhere along the line, I realized that I don't like mosquitoes and bugs, and there's a lot of them <laughs> in the jungle. So I, I decided uh, maybe there's something else for me to do. But it was very clear to me. I saw things that, that other people didn't see, and I saw things that weren't either valued or understood or paid attention to. And that's, I think, why I became a comedian, because I noticed all the little spaces between all the things that everybody else paid attention to. I paid attention to the in-between stuff. I was very much a tomboy and climbed trees and loved animals and collected everything that was outside that was hurt and needed saving. The first thing that I, I collected was I was at camp. I think I was like 10, and some kids were all gathered around and squealing and making noise, and I was trying to figure out what they were doing. They had a stick, and they were poking this baby bird that had obviously fallen out of the nest, and it had no feathers on. It was covered with ants. 
and I ran over and picked it up and held it until it came back to life and because it was just kind of in shock. I took it home and I fed it with an eyedropper. I remember helping it learn how to fly and I remember it just stayed with me. It just stayed on my finger and it just flew around the porch. I didn't have a doubt in my mind when I was a kid that I was going to save that thing and it was going to live. And I think that's why it did live. As an adult, and I look back on how tiny that thing was and how fragile it was, it's, it's a miracle that it lived. My mom, my dad, my brother Vance, and myself, we were very middle class. We weren't wealthy, and fame and, and money and celebrity was a big deal. So I saw that as a young kid. And so I knew that that would make me special. If I was famous and if I was rich, then people would think I was special. My dad was funny. He was really silly, kind of corny, but he was funny. And my mother's funny. She's, she's very dry and very sarcastic, and um, I guess she was always funny. I don't remember her so much as being funny when I was growing up as she is now. I grew up in, uh, well, everywhere around New Orleans. We moved about every two years just far enough away to start a new school because it was in a different area. So still in New Orleans, but different schools every two years. My parents divorced when I was 13. It was a very uh, non-communicative household. So when, when the divorce happened, when it was just announced that they were divorcing, it was a shock. I think it was a shock to, to my brother and myself, and we had no idea. It wasn't, they didn't fight. They didn't, there was just nothing. It was just a, a you know, a regular, I thought, regular relationship. My dad wanted me to live with him. My mom wanted me to live with her. I thought it would be better to live with my mom. And I was... 13 at the time. So, and my brother was 15 and he just, he left high school and he, he was a musician anyway. So he just took off and was in a band. So it was just me and my mom and, and weird because, you know, she became, I just knew her as my mom. And then suddenly she's my roommate and, you know, she's like dating people. And it was just strange to see my mom in a different way. So it was an interesting time for, for me and for everybody, I guess for her too. I don't think I ever knew how to fully express myself, and I don't think I had anybody that pulled that out of me. So I think I just, I was just trying to figure out what, what I was doing, and, and clearly we all have a purpose, and we all have a reason to be on this planet, and I was trying to find out what that was. After I'd moved out, I really just made enough money to pay rent, and, and when I say rent, it was, you know, usually shared with somebody else. I never lived alone. I lived with friends, and I was a bartender, and I painted houses, and I waited tables, and I sold vacuum cleaners. It wasn't door-to-door. -door. Everybody, when I say I sold vacuum cleaners, they assume that I was carrying something door-to-door. -door. I lived in New Orleans at the time, and I worked for Hoover, and it would just be in department stores. People came by. I would, you know, throw dirt down and show them how it cleaned it up, and there was one that was the top-of-the-line vacuum cleaner had a light on the front of it, and it was like $50 more than the other vacuum cleaner. And I remember a woman asking me why I, she would need a light on the front of the vacuum cleaner. I said, that's so you can vacuum at night and not wake up people by turning lights on. That woman laughed so hard at that that she bought it. Then I started writing. I just started writing and observing people, and I think the first stuff I was writing was like, when you taste something that tastes bad, you always want somebody else to taste it. And then a group of people needed to raise money for some legal thing. So whoever had any kind of talent at all was getting on stage and doing something. My friends uh, at the time thought I was funny. 
And they said, will you get on stage and do something funny? So I brought a Whopper and fries and a shake. And I went on stage and I said, this is my first time being on stage and I'm, I have to admit I'm a little nervous and I didn't know what I was going to say and I realized I hadn't eaten all day, so I hope you don't mind. I stopped and grabbed something to eat on the way. And, and then I would say, but what I wanted to talk about was, and then I would take a bite and while I was chewing, I'd put a finger up and then just go, oh, that's good, that's better. And then I would start the sentence again, and, and I ate the entire meal and didn't finish the sentence, and then said, my time is up, I've got to go, I'm so sorry. People enjoyed me eating on stage and not talking. But someone in the audience saw me and said, would you play a coffee house? At, there was no comedy club in New Orleans at the time, so they said, would you play the coffee house at the university? So then I had to come up with something else. I couldn't eat every time. So then I played a song on piano that I said I wrote when I was in the hospital, and it was just me screaming and, and hitting some chords. I would say things like, I just want to try out some new material, and I'd hold up a piece of fabric, and I would just show it to the audience. And it was just like, that's what I did for the first few times on stage. I just did stupid things that really, because I just didn't take it seriously. And then it just kept growing and growing, and, and then I... Out of nowhere, a comedy club opened up in New Orleans, and I brought a tape, <laughs> a cassette tape, and um, asked the guy to listen to it, and he hired me, and I was the MC there every night. And then I entered a contest called Showtime's Funniest Person in America, and I won for New Orleans, then I won for Louisiana, and then I won the entire competition. Once I got that title, then I could actually get booked in clubs, and they could say that I was on Showtime and I had been on television and plus I was the funniest person in America and who's not going to go see that person, you know? They were very disappointed after they paid their $10 because I certainly wasn't the funniest person in America. I didn't even have an act together. I had like 10 minutes of material. And so to have 10 minutes of material and to have that title, of course, you know, clubs are booking me as the headliner. Of course they're going to put me. And these people that, that had a lot more experience, a lot more material, a lot more time, aren't the headliner and I'm the headliner. They were bitter. They were angry because I didn't deserve that. I hadn't paid my dues. I hadn't been on the road. I hadn't. So I had a lot of angry people that didn't think I deserved to be up there. And maybe I didn't, you know, but where are they now? Hmm? Where are they now? Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus is central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. I moved to San Francisco to try to do comedy there, but you couldn't get paid for that because there were so many comedians at the time and so many big comedians, and you just were lucky to get on stage. Sometimes I would drive to get $5. I mean, it wasn't even worth the drive. I was just, it was crazy. I was making $5 on a Saturday night. That's what doing comedy was. I hated the travel. I was always on the road. I was on the road and on a plane all the time by myself. I'd get picked up by some guy who works at the club, and they put you in either a horrible motel or a condo, and you're sharing it with these other, usually men, because there weren't usually two women on the bill. And I, was, I wasn't open, I was closeted, so I didn't try to act any other way, but it, I certainly didn't talk about it. 
and it would be hard to get on stage, especially in if I'm in Oklahoma or someplace, you know, in a in a strip mall, and I'm following two guys that are just like doing, you know, homo jokes or whatever, and just and and screaming into the mic and cursing and. I wasn't any of that. I was very quiet. I was more like Bob Newhart at the time. I was more very dry and very quiet, and it was just really tough to follow two really loud people, usually, because that's what comedy was. Then I'm going home. It's like midnight or one in the morning, and I'm by myself, and I have to get on a plane the next day and go someplace else. And so it was tough, but even when it was good, it was very lonely. But to walk on stage and create an energy when your words say something and then their laughter comes back and your words say something, it's, it's an amazing feeling. So that was very addictive. And the bad nights, and there were many bad nights in the beginning, I'd just go home and cry. And I'd think, I'm never going to do this again. This is horrible. And the good nights were just like, this is the greatest thing in the world. To be on The Tonight Show was a huge deal for your career. That was your one spot, your one shot. For a comedian, that's where everyone was launched, you know? It was, it was Robin Williams and Eddie Murphy and Stephen Wright and, you know, it was, everybody was launched on, on Johnny Carson. And he decided on the spot if he wanted to talk to you or not. He did whatever he wanted. So comedians supposed to just come out, do their five minutes, say thank you, and go back, and then they go to commercial break. But if Johnny decided, he would call you over and you'd sit down. It was a big thing. But when you'd see that, it was so rare, it was just like a big deal, and it was a big, you know, anointment to your career. And he had never done that with any woman that had been on the show. And I remember first time I was booked and I couldn't, they bumped me because Robert Goulet was on and he was singing the song Memories and he kept forgetting the words. And of course that was funny because he forgot the words to Memories. So they just, he kept doing it over and over again. And then I, I was just standing back there going, yes, this is funny, but I'm now bumped. And I think it pushed me to work harder and it, and it also made me cry, you know, both. Yeah, I'd never lost anybody. I mean, my grandfather died when I was a little girl, but I didn't really know him. I wasn't close, so I didn't go to the funeral. But my girlfriend had been killed in a car accident, and I was, uh, we were living together at the time. My brother's band was performing, and we had broken up. We had fought a lot. She was trying to get me to come back home. I acted like I couldn't hear her because the music was too loud. I was planning on moving back in. I just was trying to teach her a lesson, and I was staying with some friends. So I just acted like I couldn't hear, and I was being really uh, dismissive of her. She had left before us, and as we were driving home, we saw a car, and uh, it was split in two, and we heard sirens behind us, so it had just happened. Nobody was there yet, and we just kept going. And um, I found out the next morning that it was her in the car. And so that, of course, made me feel like... I should have gone home with her that night. She wouldn't have been with that person. I should have stopped. Maybe she would have, you know, all kinds of things. But a lot of guilt. I think it, it made me realize how fragile and how, how easily you can lose somebody. I mean, just it literally in an instant, she just was gone. And it was really hard, but it really shifted my entire focus and my life. I lived in this tiny basement apartment where you couldn't even stand up fully. It was the, the ceilings were so low, it was like, you couldn't stand up. And I had a mattress on the floor. And the whole, the basement was infested with fleas. There were just fleas everywhere. 
And I remember thinking, it just seems so ridiculous that this young 23-year-old girl who I was just living with was gone and fleas are here. And so I just thought it would be great to just pick up the phone and call up God and talk about this. And so I just picked up a pen and there were no like scratch out, start over. It just was written. It just, the whole thing came out, the whole conversation, the whole phone call. And when I finished writing, I just thought Johnny Carson would love that. I know he would appreciate that. And I'm going to do that on the show. I thought that as soon as I'd start to talk, I'd be put on hold because there's other things going on. I thought that I'd listen to Onward Christian Soldiers because that's the hold music. And then I thought that because I'm a comedian, he would tell me a joke. And at that point, no woman had ever been called over to sit down on the first appearance. And I just thought, I'm going to be the first woman to do that. And there I was. I was sitting next to Johnny Carson. You know, it was just my destiny. I wanted everyone to like me. I wanted to be whatever it was so that they liked me. And that's a really interesting thing, to be born with that trait, with that quality, and be gay. God goes, okay, so you're going you're gonna to be someone who desperately needs approval, desperately wants people to like them, and you're going to be gay. Good luck. Go on. <laughs> oh, and be famous, too. Be rich and famous so that, that uh, you have to get everybody's approval to earn a living, and you're gay. Go, go. You know, I mean, it's quite a, a thing to overcome. Just genuinely, organically, I loved that I was making people happy and loved that I was making people laugh, and I, I loved getting that, that validation. That's the real part of it. The other stuff, the superficial part, was just being a human being and being a young girl that just wanted attention and wanted to be famous. When I was cast on Open House, I was cast as... The, the character was written as this bitch. She was written really as, as a bitch. And I just didn't know how to play that. I didn't know how. I didn't know why it was funny. I didn't know why she'd be likable. And so I just slowly, I would just skew it to just that she was stupid, that she was just, you know, she'd say, I just put the sushi in the oven. It'll be ready in a minute. You know, I would just say stupid things. And so they started rewriting it so she became, Margot became really stupid, which was really fun to play. And then I got a show called Laurie Hill. I think I had two lines in it, like l just two lines. And I remember saying to Neil and Carol, who created it, I said, if this doesn't get picked up, would you create a show for me? And it got canceled, and they said they want to create a show. And then they created these friends of mine, which turned into Ellen. Most of the first shows were me trying to change the water bottle. There was five-gallon water bottles when, and, and spilling it all over the place. I just loved physical comedy. And I thought it was a way for me to showcase that I was funny and I could be physical. I wanted a sitcom, and I wanted for people to know who I was. And then once I got that, anybody you talk to who has had that realizes it's not enough and it doesn't satisfy you. It doesn't make you feel or fill in all those empty, the holes that you're trying to fill. And then it just became after what, I, what that dream was. It, the dream now is like, what am I supposed to? I just keep asking the question, what am I supposed to be doing here? And I'm just going to try to figure out what that is. Walmart Plus members save on Meeting Up With Friends. 
Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. From the outside, it appeared that Ellen was living her dream. Her network sitcom was a success, yet inside she was feeling the pain of not having a truly authentic life. In order to understand the courage it took for her to do what she did next, you have to remember it really was a very different world back in 1997. There were no major celebrities who were openly gay. There were no major gay characters on television. It was long before gay marriage, of course, was legal. And we simply didn't talk about sexuality, gender issues, and being gay the same way we do today. Ellen coming out was a first in the history of television. And it sparked a backlash from advertisers and religious groups. It also sent shockwaves through her own life. I certainly didn't ever think that I was going to come out, period. I didn't think I'd be coming out on a show, ever. But um, someone gave me for a gift a course at a place called Esalen up in Big Sur. It's kind of like a, a hippie retreat place. And you go and, and just, you know, no TV and no music and no anything. It's just meditation and different things and different courses. And there was a course called Changing the Inner Dialogue of Your Subconscious Mind. So I thought that would be an interesting course to take because I wanted to know what the inner dialogue of my subconscious mind was. And it was scary and crazy. And what came out of listening to what I had been saying to myself is, would I still be famous? Would they still love me if they knew I was gay? And my fear was, no, they wouldn't. And then it made me feel shame that I was hiding something. It made me feel shame that I couldn't be honest and really be who I am. And I just didn't want to pretend to be somebody else anymore so that people would like me. The character was, she wasn't dating. She wasn't going to get married. She wasn't, I wasn't that girl. So uh, if I'm not going to be that girl, if I'm not going to be Marlo Thomas, I should just, the character should come out also. No one had ever come out in their 30s on television. It's one thing for someone to just be a gay character, but to actually go through the process of realizing they're gay, because she was in denial, the character, that was she was gay. And so it was an interesting thing to be able to to explore, or it would have been, had we been allowed to <laughs> to keep going with it. I had no idea that it would turn into such an important thing for so many people. It was just the right thing to do for me. And by doing something that was the right thing to do for me, it was a very interesting, creative thing to do for television. You can see when I said it on the, on the show, even during rehearsal, when we rehearsed it, every single time I said I'm gay, I would start crying, every time. You know, when you're gay, you don't say to someone, I'm gay. <laughs> like, you're, you're not in a gay bar, and you don't have to say it because they're gay too. So those words never come out of your mouth. You just never say that sentence. So to say that sentence out loud in front of a whole bunch of people is scary as hell, 
and uh, emotional and empowered, which is why most people cry when they tell their parents or tell anybody, because it's a very, you don't want to let someone down if you're telling your parents, you, you're saying something that, just verbalizing, just saying those words, I'm gay, it takes a long time to say it without emotion, because it's really a, it's a scary thing, because society has drilled it into us that we are wrong. So to be strong enough to go against that, to be strong enough to say, I am doing this because it's the right thing to do, because that is the label that you've given me. And, uh, you know, again, I, just, I don't like labels, but if that's the label you're giving me, I am going to own it. I'm not fearless. I didn't do it because I'm fearless. I did it in spite of the fact that I was scared to death, in spite of the fact that I cared deeply what people thought of me, in spite of the fact that I needed to have a career. And so it made me really proud of myself and really recognize that I was not as weak and pathetic as I thought of myself. It became bigger than I ever thought it would be, bigger than I wanted it to be. And it overshadowed my talent. It overshadowed who I am as a person. It was only meant to be, just being honest, and it became... This, this snowball, this avalanche of like just got bigger and bigger and bigger and there was no stopping it. So it turned into people not liking me because they thought that I was like somehow political all of a sudden. And it was the last thing I wanted to do it was, the, was to be political. I did Oprah's show, I did the cover of Time magazine, and I did a Diane Sawyer interview. That's all I did. That's all I planned on doing. But because it became such a huge cultural thing and 45 million people watched it, and then people all around the world talked, and then an article was written, and then another article was written, and then an article was written on that article, and then everybody got so sick of it, it got to the point where even Elton John, who I'd never met in my life, Elton John said, we know you're gay, shut up and be funny. You can imagine how much that hurt me, because I was like, I don't, e I, I don't even know. I hadn't even said anything. I'd done three interviews. It's funny because I all along that was my biggest fear is that it was going to get canceled. I was not told that it was canceled. I was told through an assistant who read it in the trades. Then it was all kinds of other lessons of learning what it's like to not be loved and to be the butt of everybody's joke on television and in magazines. And so I had to learn what that feels like to, to not let things like that get to you. I remember the first letter I got where somebody said I saved their life, that they were going to kill themselves, and that they didn't because of what I did. That's why I think it's so important. You can't make anybody do something that they're not ready to do, but there are so many people that would make such a difference. I think sometimes people don't come out because they're selfish and they want to keep their career, and sometimes they're just too scared, and I understand that. I was in those places, you know, but it would be nice because we have a huge platform. We have a huge huge, loud platform to stand up and say, it is okay. And so I don't want to make anybody feel like that's their obligation. But for me, I do feel like I do have a responsibility to, to be honest about who I am. If I'm going to stand on stage and say, I want you to like me and buy my brand, endorse me because here I am, this is me. It's like, well, then be all of you, you know, say who you are. Yeah, it was, it was hard. It was, it was hard, you know, but it was just, it was great because I lost my career for three years. I lost my money. I lost everything. And I got to be stripped down of everything and start all over again. And that was a wonderful gift to be able to start all over again and to, to realize that I was strong enough and talented enough to come back, to not just 
have a career and have a little dip and then, you know, but to literally lose it all and to just start all over again. So that was a good thing. I'm just saying it's all right now. It wasn't at the time. <laughs> I'm not saying it was all right at the time. It was horrible at the time. But but what made me just, I had to get back on my feet again. I had to make money. So and the only way to do that was to, to write. So I started writing and I wrote a HBO special called The Beginning and I just I just started over. Unfortunately, sometimes the the bad things are the the biggest teachers, and so you have to be grateful for those. And it's it's just corny, but like if you just didn't if if everything was just fine all the time, you wouldn't know it's fine. You know, it has to you have to have some really lousy things happen to you to understand when some really good things happen. In the back of my mind, because I love Johnny Carson so much, I thought about doing a talk show. I thought that would be an interesting thing at some point in my career. First of all, nobody thought it was going to, nobody wanted to buy it. I mean, affiliates, you know, a lot of the people wouldn't buy the show because they thought, who's going to watch a gay woman in the middle of the day? It's housewives at home with children. She has nothing in common with them, so they're not going to watch. So we had a hard time selling the show. They didn't think the show was going to work. And 12 years in, it's doing better than ever, and, and it's the most fun I've had. It's a really fun job for me. I, and I don't know how long I'll do it. I mean, I, I feel like I'm going to know when it's time to stop and maybe do something else. I mean, I have a lot of other things going on. My passion really is design, home design, clothing design, and I'm launching a brand, which I'm really excited about. So I don't, I don't know. I don't have a plan for the show in, as far as how long it'll go or what direction. As Ellen said, sometimes the bad things are the biggest teachers. I found that to be true, too. Who she is now cannot even be compared to who she was back in 1997. I would say she's become more authentically herself. Every new beginning has brought Ellen more fulfilling personal rewards. She's learned that she needs a true partner. She's made her marriage to Portia de Rossi the center of her happy life. She's living proof that your truth will set you free. For all the laughter, for the bravery and for just being you, Ellen DeGeneres, you are a master. I've learned to not compromise. I've learned that if something's good, it's good. I used to think I could fix people. I used to be in relationships where I would meet somebody and I would think, oh, there's, there's so much good here, and if only this, and if only if I could just, and I would, I would be in relationships because they, obviously I saw a lot of good in, in that person but I ignored that I wasn't happy or that I was getting hurt. And so I'm in a relationship now where I have equal love, that I, I love her and she loves me and we respect each other and we're kind and we're gentle. And as someone once said, it's wonderful to be loved, but it's profound to be understood. I think what makes anybody special is being authentically yourself because there is only one of us in all of time you know we each are, are special and we each are unique and we each are these brilliant things just allow yourself to be that person allow yourself to make mistakes allow yourself to try things and so I think that's what makes you special there are people that don't like me obviously very few I'm sure but I don't pay attention to it as much and I don't alter and I would never alter the way I am to change that. If, if they don't like me, it's, I, can't, I can't do anything about it because I really, I think I'm a good person, I'm a kind person, 
I try very hard to treat everybody with respect. I want to just be honest, and so this is just who I am. So if you like me, great, and if you don't, I don't know why, because, I mean, look at me. I don't know what I'm saying anymore. I, I, I think that one of those things in there is true. <laughs> I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Masterclass, the podcast. You can follow Masterclass on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't already, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Masterclass podcast. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.